This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 463. And the quote of the day is, true humility is being able to accept criticism as graciously as we accept compliments. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What is up? This is Nick Ruffini, and you are tuned into the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And if you have never listened to this podcast before, I'd be really interested to hear how you found out about it. So if this is the first time you're ever hearing this, shoot me an email. I'm at nick at drummersresource.com, or I'm on social media, all that stuff, Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff, at the Nick Ruffini or at Drummer's Resource. It doesn't matter. Either way, it's me running all of the accounts. And by the way, if you're it, check it out. So there's two accounts. There's drummers resource that you can find on Instagram at drummers resource. And then there's my personal account, which is at the Nick Ruffini. I hate the handle, the Nick Ruffini, but I couldn't get Nick Ruffini on all of them. So I wanted to make them all the same. Long story short, I'm the Nick Ruffini. It sounds stupid, but it works anyway. Um, so, but on those other accounts, I talk about other things. I talk about some music business stuff. Um, and I talk a little bit more about like some personal development stuff and all that kind of things. So if you're into that, check it out at the Nick Ruffini. I'm also launching another podcast on that channel uh, that I think you guys will be interested in because it'll cover a lot of creativity and, and work as a creative and different things like that. So uh, that's a long way of saying if you've never listened to this podcast before and you're new to this podcast, hit me up and let me know. I would love to hear from you. And this podcast that you're listening to is free thanks to the good folks at Dream Symbols. And they have been sponsoring this podcast for a very long time. They're amazing guys over there, guys and girls at Dream Symbols. And so be sure to check them out. They're at dreamsymbols.com. And the thing that makes them really different is they make amazing sounding symbols that don't break the bank. So they're priced well below the competitors' prices, and they sound absolutely amazing. So check them out by going to dreamsymbols.com. Also, if you go to NAM, if that's one of the things that you do, they're also at NAM. So check them out, dreamsymbols.com. And with that, let's get into this conversation with Sam Fogarino from Interpol. And this is an amazing conversation. Actually, thanks to the to the guys at Dream Symbols for connecting us. And Sam goes into depth about how playing for the song is the most important thing, but also being open to criticism and being open to let someone else sort of give input into the things that you're doing and and really just stripping away your playing and getting down to the essence of the things that you're playing. So we talk a lot about that. And I've mentioned this before, but it seems like conversations run in themes, like from week to week. And last week with Jimmy Chamberlain, we were talking a lot about that too, about letting the producer do the producer's job, which is to get the best out of you to make sure that you're not overplaying, make sure that you're serving the music and all that sort of stuff. And Sam talks a lot about that in this conversation and just a bunch of other insights. We talk about the industry, the direction that is going, his advice and, and things like that. So a really, really fun, interesting conversation. So let's get into it with Sam Fuggerino. Sam, first of all, uh, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I thank you for going through all the technical, the technical difficulties to make this happen. So welcome. Thank you very much. Of course. So appreciate we were, we were sort of talking off air a little bit. Um, I want to get a little bit of, of your backstory. Everyone knows I like to do that, but, um, so you were, you were born in Philly. Uh, so talk to me about, about growing up in Philadelphia and, I, I mean, I can relate, but I didn't grow like you grew up in Philadelphia, like you were saying, West right. Philadelphia. Uh, I grew up in the Burbs, uh, so totally different environment, same area, but different environment. What was it like growing up yeah. in Philadelphia when you were when you were growing up there, and and sort of what was the vibe like? It, it was pretty rough. I mean, um, it, there wasn't many uh, intellectual debates about anything, you know, unless right. you were really close with somebody if. If you were right, um, you might get punched. You know, it's just kind of the, you know, people were pretty hardcore. Um, but on the on the on the lighter side of that, uh, I managed to just fall in with 
some kids that were a little bit older than me that um, they didn't follow the the rules of like if you liked Zeppelin you didn't like punk rock and you know if you liked the Cure you didn't like the Smiths or you only liked the Beatles but you didn't like the Stones or vice versa whatever all that you know kind of um, you know the unwritten rules of uh, what it's uh, how 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 uh, that's if you're cool that's how you like music you know you right. you follow these. Uh, whatever these little subgroups and these kids and there was a lot of like shit. this or was there was there at that time was there like a lot of this or that like pretty much e- yeah. even in the same genre though was there like you're either a i don't know like a doors fan or you're a zeppelin fan right was, you just had to claim this you know like uh, allegiance to the one and only <laughs> right you're either an eagles and, fan or a giants fan like that kind of thing you know yeah it, you just can't be a football fan it's like, <laughs> right. no, 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 it's not good. You know, you can't, you got to have a definite, uh, and it might be from like Catholicism might stem from, you know, that whole train of thought. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Honor. <laughs> but you know, these, these friends of mine, uh, you know, they would just go to the tower theater just because they never heard of the band, mm-hmm. you know, go check it out. And while uh, appreciating Zeppelin and the Beatles and the who and all that, the, uh, I was exposed to, uh, you know, what was called new wave back then, or like post-punk all at the same time. And, you know, that kind of stuck over the years when trying to figure out like what kind of music I really want to play. And, you know, luckily kind of found, um, you know, uh, a subgroup of people that um, really didn't placate to the rules so much themselves. Right. Were you, so were you playing at the time or were you just listening? Well, it went from, listening but i started playing with the, my first band if you will when i was about 12 and mm. these guys were about 14 and 15 and a little more advanced but you know we just kind of cut our teeth on you know learning stone songs and you know classic rock just and it just seemed like that's what that's what you did like right. you, you formed a band and you learned your stone song and a couple who songs or whatever and then we managed to write three songs which we played incessantly <laughs> over and over again. Yep. And then by that time, I moved away. Um, but that, that bug bit me. Like, I didn't want to play covers. I wanted to play, you know, original music. Right. You wanted and to write your a, own tunes. And so were you, were you active in, I yeah. guess you were active in the songwriting, right, at that age? Uh, yeah, for as much as I understood. Sure. You know, I mean. I, I really didn't understand. Like I, I, I knew a few guitar chords, but guitar is what sent me to playing drums because it was more immediate, you know. And it was just um, it, there was a coordination and independence thing to tackle, you know, over time. But when you got like a backbeat down, like that was it. Like he, when you learn, you're playing drums. That's it. When you right. get it right, when your meter steady, it's like oh, there it is. And it really. Um, it was just far more encouraging than, you know, the intricacy of playing guitar, you know, right. and it didn't, it, it's just not as visceral. Uh, I mean, arguably, of course, with all due respect, but for me, like drums, I mean, it was just, it was just loud and in your face. And when you got it down, it just felt so good and you can just keep moving. And um, yeah, it just didn't have the attention span for guitar. And so, you know, when we were writing music, back then you know there's a part that i just blank blank on you know when you're trying to figure out chord progressions and stuff mm-hmm. but um yeah i mean i i knew what the arrangement i knew what arranging was and how important that you know that meant to the song uh, i didn't wasn't really good but you know i understood what you know what the purpose <laughs> was <laughs> right i was thinking about when you were saying with with guitar, there were two things that, that made me think of one, I would always get frustrated where someone would sit behind the, like a, after I started playing, like someone would sit behind the kit and they could just play. Like you can't just pick up a guitar and play, but you can theoretically sit behind the drums. And if you start hitting things, you're playing drums, but you can't do that on the guitar. That would always, no. that always frustrated me. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you get one chord down and it's just like, there it is. Then there's like, a, a lot of other, you, you got to repeat that over and over again. And right. I guess you do with the drum kit, but once you have the, the verse, you know, you're learning the verse of a song, the song, the transitional film, and, you know, it's just much more modular, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can just yep. hear it. You don't have to figure out what key it's in. <laughs> it's like yeah. there's kick, snare, hi-hat, you know, there's the pattern. 
So I wonder if we're all drummers, if we're just frustrated guitar players, you know, <laughs> like we're all failed guitar players. We could, I mean, there's so many uh, drummers out there that were, um, it just it didn't go beyond their skills as a as a as a drummer. Like Ginger Baker, like he's quoted by Eric Clapton as being a musician. Like mm-hmm. he can compose music, and uh, a little more contemporary than that, but still, you know, back in the eighties. Like my favorite example is like like a casual musician, you know, in the guise of a drummer is Topper Hedden from The Clash, right? Having written like all the quintessential parts of Rock the Casbah. While just sitting in the studio, mm-hmm. you know. And Neil, I mean, Neil Peart wrote all the all the music for uh, for Rush, or most of it. He wrote I think. the lyrics. He wrote all the lyrics, but he still had to have an understanding of what they were doing musically to really right. be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, because it all that's you know you're you're messing with melody at that point, right? You know, when you you start. And um, from what I read, I was a big a big Rush fan. I still am. Um, uh, there was always a good um, relationship between him and Getty Lee. There was a sensitivity there, I think, to going back and forth because, you know, you're putting words in somebody's mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta have, there's got to be a lot of, yeah, there's got to be a lot of trust there, right? Yeah. Because of what you're saying and then how, you know, you know that when you write something, like how would, you kind of have a feeling working together so long, like how one would sing a line that you come up with or mm-hmm. what that would be like. Hold on one second. There's somebody in the door here. Hold on. Hey, um, hold on one sec. Okay. Um, can you, can you just put like in that spot right there? Yeah. You know, yeah. Right on the side of the tree. Just, yeah. Off the trailer and then right there. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, I was just having some timber, some lumber um, drop oh, off. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> some firewood. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Gotta do it. Uh, so Indeed. where were we? You were t- we were talking about. Uh, oh, you were saying you're you're a big Rush fan. Uh, where and so. well, it was all about like the relationship you know that Neil Peart had with Getty Lee. Mm-hmm. You know. Relating I, to, you know, Getty is singing, you know, somebody else's words and, you know, the, the synergy you kind of build and the trust and the relationship you, you have over the years. Right, um, right, right, right. But you I was, know, I, this, this all stems from like, you know, drummers who kind of have deep, deep, dark, melodic secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's been... But from from what I know about you, that's been sort of your MO as well, right? You want to, I mean, obviously every drummer should want to serve the music, but you seemingly are more interested in being a musician more than being a drummer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. With again, with all due respect to you know those those who are like uh, the quintessential drummers, the drummers, drummers, right? The Steve Gaz of of the world, and and the, like Chad Smiths and. You know, there's just a, a list as as long as my arm, for sure. Um, but I, I, I mean, I would argue that that Steve Gadd is a is you know is more concerned about serving the music and being a musician versus being a drummer. Probably so. I, I guess just the, in terms of that kind of ability, you know, um, there's a whole another level of popularity, and it's not right. for the songs they play; it's for their their prowess. You know, right, for the right, skills right. that they, they pull out. And I res- what I'm saying is I respect that. And once in a while, uh, you know, I become a fan of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But yeah, I, it, I just ended up playing drums because of the reasons I've stated earlier, you know, just the immediacy of it. But my, I just wanted to be playing in a rock band. Like that was the whole thing. Like I didn't care what it was. I just wanted to be involved in whatever it was. Right. Right. So that's, yeah, that's, that's where it's at. I think that's what, how I have the position I have in Interpol is um, obviously because I can play <laughs> a beat that they like, <laughs> but um, there's a, it's a kind of an understanding. We all kind of get on musically when mm-hmm. we're, when we're working together, like there's a, there's a trust all the way around. Right. Um, you know, I, 
I don't think they'd let me near a guitar, but, um, you know, it, it, there's not that much trust. <laughs> no, no, they, they, they love, they guard their instruments, right. but you know, in terms of sonics and in terms of arrangements, you know, I, for example, when we were writing this last record, Marauder, um, it got to the point where we've been working on this stuff for almost a year and it was pretty much being played down. Like there was the only new ideas that needed to be arrived at were, were um, with Paul and vocals and stuff like that. And I just suggested like, Hey, let me just leave some drum files and you can just play them back. And I could just take a break because I feel like I'm spinning in circles. Right. And he's like, no, I need you there. And I was like, for what? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I just, I need you to be playing. Like I, I just need it to be happening. I can't just, you know, hit the space bar. Right, right, right. And I was like, you know, all at once I had a little frustration, but like it, it was like, well, that's that, you know, that's what makes me a a full partner in this band. You know, when he, you know, when your vocalist is just like, um, inexplicably, I just, I need your vibe. You got to be playing. Well, yeah, I think I it's hard have, to to try to write. I mean, not that I've ever done it, but I think it's hard to just sit there and write to a drum track over and over, and you know, without with that, you know, when you're in the room, there's there's things that you may do, and as you know, you know, and it's like, oh, but wait, wait, yeah. what was that thing? Hold on, let me wait a minute. That just sparks something else that maybe I can I can add to this, or we can change up about this, and and that sort of serendipity happens live. Like you can't. You can't, yeah, you can never replicate right, that. No. And that's like, there's another side of like being a slave to the music. It's like realizing, okay, well, I have arrived at a, a landing point. I'm going to let a producer kind of take it from here. You know, I went as far as I can. Now I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, relearning what I'm doing. Right. And uh, it, not everybody's there at the same time. Yeah. You know? And you mm-hmm. take for granted like the dynamics and it's just like, oh, come on, you're a big boy. You could live playback. You know, I'll record it. Just take the rehearsal. I was just thinking of anything just to take a break. <laughs> right. And, um, oh, I got a cramp. I, I got a cramp. Keep going. I just, yeah. I just cramped up. Yeah. Here, this is an NPC drum machine. Uh, <laughs> I loaded it with, <laughs> it took me two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> there are 37,000 um, combinations on here. <laughs> right. I got it. Uh, I can't tell you how to use it, but it's all there. <laughs> but, but, you know, at the end of it, it's just like, that's, um, you know, what more could you want? It, it, you know, it's just, um, that's when you realize that you're, you're a band, you know, uh, just because, um, like I, like I said, just because I arrived somewhere and the rest of the song is not at the same right. place. Like you just got to go back and en- repeat yourself mm-hmm. and enjoy I mean- it. Yeah. You know? It's got to be better than everyone in the studio. And they're like, no, nah, Sam, we got it from here, man. Take, you can take a break. That's the converse, too. It's just like, you know, there's that. It's one thing to, like, have no emotional or, I should say, egotistical attachment at a certain point. Like, it, it, theoretically, if they agreed to me kind of taking a month off and, like, here's the beats and they change some stuff, you know, that, that, that's the way it goes. It would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a thing of being dismissed, you know, if you want to pull back and, you know, let some, let somebody else take over for a minute, that's one thing. <laughs> but when somebody is like, Hey, everything that you came up with is not going to make the record. So we got to, we got to come up with something new on the fly that, that would suck or, or yeah. we'll take it here. Okay. Hit your snare. Give me four quarter notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> rack time, sample the kit, you know? Um, yep. unless, you know, I would, I would be totally into that kind of thing if I was involved, you know, cause it's mm-hmm. still, you know, your, your mark on the, on the record. But another thing is that the way Dave Fridman works, who the gentleman who produced Marauder is like, n- nobody leaves, like you stay, that's it. Right. Even if you're just watching TV upstairs, if we need you, you're here. Right. And it, but, you know, it's just a very delicate, like one person, you know, the whole butterfly effect, mm-hmm. you know, like you do one little thing and, and, um, you know, you're up in the middle of nowhere in Western New York and, um, it does, it tests your commitment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
And especially when you're like, my parts are done. It's like, okay, well, you still have to stay here and yeah. be part of this process, whether you're in the control room or you're, you know, at least at arm's length so we can grab you if we need you or, or something like that. I like, I like that yeah. philosophy though. I like that philosophy of no one leaves. That's how you make a, you know, a record as a band, you know, or yeah. otherwise it's not a band at that point. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very interesting to work that way. Um, and it, it, a couple of moments it did kind of force the band to step out of its, its usual mode of operation, you know, to right. do something, change something on the fly, no matter how minimal, mm-hmm. you know, there's always like the tug and pull of like, well, we've been doing it like this for, you know, eight months. And then you realize, well, but that's not why we came here. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. we came here to make the best record we can. And this is the guy at the helm. And, uh, and, uh, and all at once it was just kind of liberating because it's, there was a couple things that I, some things I thought were the shit and some things I was kind of like, ah, if he, if he wants to change this, I'll roll with it because I'm not sure about it. Um, it was really cool. Like to be humbled that way to, especially when you think you're doing something really cool and he's going to love it. He being the producer, Dave, and he's like, no, no, let's do this. And you got to do it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, uh, I, I, it's nothing I experienced ever. So it was a really cool to rise to the occasion and put your trust in him and him only. Right. And uh, to f- get it right. I feel like a lot of the times as drummers, the things that we think are the shit are the things that end up getting cut from the record. And the things that we don't think are the shit are the things that stick on the record. Yeah. I, For the most part. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, you start to realize, you know, the less is more, you know, mm-hmm. even if you think that what you're doing is not too too intense it's not you know too bombastic or or overstating itself right and they still want to strip it down you know the the, the playback is uh is, you know the telltale mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's really you, you start like i have a a new kind of curiosity slash you know respect for like jim keltner you know yeah. who's is so 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 graceful and simple and um there's a reason why he gets called back to play on all those amazing records, you know? Yep. Yep. How, how do you deal with that? Uh, with, with like, I mean, you would mention, you would mention ego before. And I think that we tend to overplay from an ego standpoint or try to play more. And it seems like even at this point in your career, you're still sort of trying to navigate those waters, which I think is not uncommon. I've heard, you know, of all the people I've interviewed, everyone's still kind of trying to get there. Right. So yeah, how have you dealt with that, or, or do you have advice for dealing with that, and maybe even like learning how to do it better? Well, I think that's where what happened with making this record is that I remained open to the harshest criticism and uh, no arguing. It's just like it, if if Dave made a suggestion that I was you know internally like ah whatever, which was rare. Um, I, I learned it first. And nine times out of ten, it was like, "Oh wait, this is this is really cool." Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the it's all in the playback, you know, because that's the most important thing when you're there. And you know, there's a couple times I was like, "This is this is subtle, and this is the shit. This is going to end up as a breakbeat." <laughs> and it's just like, no, 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 it's not. It's, I heard it before, and it's too busy, right? And and just let letting go and waiting to see what happens after it's laid down. And, and then even within the process of making the record, like I, I kind of had the confidence to throw in some fills where my bandmates normally be like, whoa, 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 Mr. Rock and Roll, what's a little too much? <laughs> and just kind of with the guidance of somebody who is, uh, will be the ultimate, like, decider. Like, you know, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, Sam, Paul was right. You know, what are you doing? And it, it just made it free, you know, because if it sucked, Somebody's going to tell me. Right. And uh, if it's working, you know, and um, I, I think that's what it's all about. And I, I think what I try to do, especially in the realm of the drum fill, which is, you know, such a bittersweet thing to the songwriter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like sure. even more precious than a drummer, you know, because, it, it, you know, a great drum fill is so, it, it's just like, you know, the rhythmical bridge. It's, you know, taking the, the song somewhere, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to like never lose the kind of propulsion of, of, of the song, you know, just to make sure w- within a drum fill that whatever is making someone bob their heads is, is not, is not lost in these, right. you know, a couple, couple of measures. Mm-hmm. And to try to be melodic about it, to try to, you know, always, it's kind of playing off vocal stuff and, and, um, you know, trying, you know, to just make it as musical and flowing as possible. Um, and, you know, again, like you, you really don't know if you're there until you can trust someone to tell you that you're not. Right. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we, <clears throat> it's interesting. Is, Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say the band, like, you know, kind of, really uh, produced most of our records except this one. And, you know, I have to say that it was high time for us to kind of like stop relying on ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, cause you're just going to miss, you're just going to, you're just too close, you know, it's like trying to reach in and do self damage dent- dentistry at a certain point. Right. Yeah. yeah. You need that sort yeah. of outsider's perspective. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Especially with the band has been, we're, we're pushing, we're closer to 20 years than we are 10, you know? Right. And either, you know, you, you figure out a way to do things and you sit on a certain shelf or you kind of like, you know, let somebody else in and uh, pull out something that's been, hasn't been revealed yet. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff, it's interesting how things tend to, tend to run together. Today I was having a conversation with Kevin Murphy, uh, Nashville drummer, great drummer, and we were, he was talking about fills and how most people don't understand, you know, that the bars leading up to the fill, you're setting up the fill as you go. It's not just like verse, fill, okay, right. back in, right. um, which you, you know, you were talking about as well. Like you, you want to keep that momentum going. And then the yeah. other, the, the other sort of, uh, theme, I had a conversation with Jimmy Chamberlain and we just released an interview with him and he was talking along the same lines of the stuff that you're talking about. It's like, even as long as he's been doing it, even how long his career has been going, there's still things that are happening in the studio where it's still hard to, it's still hard to give up that control. But, but at the end of the day, you sort of need to, and you need, and you know that you need to, and it's like a growing process. And it amazes me you know, 20, 30, 40 years into a career and someone like yourself or like Jimmy Chamberlain, that yeah. there's still, there's still that growth. And, and there's still kind of goes back to what I was saying before that, like, it's still the idea of everyone still just trying to figure it out. You know, do you think yeah. it just comes with, do you think it just comes with age? Do you think it comes with experience of, of being around people that, that you can trust to make the right decisions? What do you think it is that helps you get over that hump? Yeah, it definitely has to do with age and, or it can be experience and somebody can be really young, but, you know, could have been at this for, for a long time, you know, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of relative there. So yeah, age and experience, like the age and experience just makes it easier because you know that like what you perceive to be at risk is is not, you know, actually it's holding on too fast is way more detrimental to the whatever project it may be. And, um, it just becomes easier to let go when you're older, you just become more patient. And, you know, if you're confident, it'll just come back around. You just have to sidestep for a minute. And there's always something to gain out of that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it can be frustrating to, to kind of have to step off the grid and figure something else out. But I mean, uh, at a certain point, um, yeah, there's just something inside me that just is like, just don't talk, listen, like, Mm. and just let, it'll just come out, you know, it'll just, cause it's all about trying to do something. And, you know, I'll I'll let something go, man, at that, at that point, just to prove that I'm right or, you know, to make um, something better. Mm -hmm. It's, it's such an interesting thing because when you're younger, you know, we, or even maybe not even young, young, I'm not saying like you have to be a teenager, but even like in right. tw- in your twenties and thirties, you're like, I know everything. And then as you start to get older, you're sort of like, oh my God, I know nothing. <laughs> There's so much you more to nothing. learn. Right? And, it's, it, and it's exciting too. Cause it, I, I think, you know, for me, it was just about being an idealist that, mm-hmm. you know, I've 
what I thought I knew is what I wanted to be true. And I was just gobsmacked, you know, every few years with the truth, <laughs> you right. know, and it's just like, I had too big of a romantic notion. And, um, it, it's kind of like after that point, you know, it's kind of just being in the eye of the storm, you know, when you, you, you really can't experience progress and growth until you had a moment to kind of take a break and reflect on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that kind of helps with getting control of the ego too, because you're like, like we were saying earlier, you never really arrive at this one or this one threshold and go, Oh, I know all this. You know, it's just never that obvious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get to a point where it's like, um, man, the well's dry. I'm going to repeat myself. <laughs> you know, I want some, give me something, something new, you know, right. to, to bounce off of, or, there's still at this point, there's so many solid points of reference to revisit and maybe, maybe try to modulate a bit and make it your own. Like I'm still listening to Led Zeppelin for that. Like, never mind, you know, the type of music they're playing. It's like how it's being played, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And just kind of aping like an approach to see if you can mold it into something that might be new or, right. or just a little different. It almost, it's, and tell me if you would agree with this. It's almost to me sounds like what's the saying? The, the, when the student is ready to learn, ready to learn, the teacher will appear. It's almost sort of like there's probably all of these lessons along the way that, yeah, that we sort of don't pay attention to because we're not open and we still have the ego and we, and we're still thinking that we're the shit. And, but when we're, when we finally let that guard down, there's someone there saying, look, man, you should do this and you should work on this or, or you should try this thing differently or something. And you're like, Oh man, these are all great ideas. And I, I think, I don't know if those lessons are there and we're just not paying attention to them. And once we're, once we're open and and willing to accept them, they, uh, they seek in or they, they sink in. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, everybody's kind of to a degree precious about their output. You know, it's, it's theirs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, um, you know, at a certain point, I, okay, I, I, I did a record um, a few years ago and our live keyboard player, Brandon Curtis, produced it. And what he conveyed to me was like, you should just be able to reveal like the most raw part of yourself. Just go and spit out whatever and then let me sort it out. Mm-hmm. You you should just worry about the whole creative process and don't don't edit yourself. Let me do that. Right. And it was easy because we played together. He was in a band or still has a band called Secret Machines that I loved. So, you know, was, I had a lot of trust in him. And it was so much fun to not worry about what I was doing and just did it and let him kind of go, no, 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 no. This is where we're going. Right. You know, it's kind of liberating. And yeah, and then kind of getting to do that then with Interpol, you know, these, these are songs that have been learned. I mean, they're, they were written and arranged and now we could play them down. We can go play them live. And now we're in the studio. And there was a conversation about, about drum fills. Like what, what do you do, Sam? And, and that, you know, in the post post chorus of that song, it's like, I don't know. And I'm going to let the studio decide, like, I'm going to like, just kind of leave it to, you know, inspiration while we're doing it. See what this, see what the microphones capture. Mm-hmm. And, is that, you know, there's kind of, I was gonna say, is that, that scary? Is that, is that scary? Nah, or is it liberating? Nah, I love it. It's liberating. It's liberating because there's somebody at the helm and when it's done, it's done. It, and it will be, have, have been inspired by the environment and by the, the process of recording. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, knowing the paths and, and, you know, taking a bike or running and knowing that you have to jump like, um, a little bit of a, of a, of a Creek, you know, just like, but you can do it, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, Oh, what if I, <laughs> what if I slip, you know, and you just <laughs> got to do it and not, not worry and not think about and, it. Yeah. And, um, a lot of that, you know, ended up on this record with the stuff that didn't have to be definitive at mm-hmm. any given time, except when the tapers were on. And right. usually it's, it's, I don't do that with like drum patterns, like, you know, when defining a verse or chorus or whatever, but like yeah, drum fills, 
Like I'll know where it is and know what it should be, but like, mm, what if I just like leave the moment to decide how it'll be voiced? You know? Right. Yeah. I think that speaks to your point, uh, or to, to further, uh, to further prove your point. I think that as, as experience has taught us, you know, many people have said this, I'm sure you've experienced this. I've experienced, I, I remember specifically Steve Gadd talking about it. Like, usually the first or second take is the best take because you're not thinking about it. You're living in the moment. You're letting, letting the mic just capture what happens naturally in the room. You're just going off of inspiration, but then take 37. You've already listened to it 36 other times. You've thought about it. You thought about thinking about it. You thought about the time that you thought about it the first time, then you rewrote it and then you did it. And then you go in and it sounds contrived and stale and, and boring. And you're like, Oh shit, this sucks. You know, like let's try it for, let's try number 38 and it just gets <laughs> yeah. worse and worse, you know? Yeah. It's such a rabbit hole. And it, it, it's just so funny. And, and the way that a record could be made today, like we were like, we went in and you know, the way Fridman approached it was like, it's, it's going to be as live as it can. Like we're going to hit tape and keep whole takes. Like, I don't want to do a lot of editing, mm-hmm. you know, to the, you know, without compromising the performance under the song. And, um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like we, we've always been kind of, you know, we never, like the core of the song and all, all of our records is pretty much live, but you know, uh, to a certain degree, if you can't get it live together, you know, in the past I have, you know, had scratch tracks fed to me and then I did like the definitive drum take and then the rest of the song gets built on top of that. Done mm-hmm. things like that before and done like edited kind of big chunks of certain takes. But this was just like, this is 1975. Right. <laughs> what we lay down is that we're not comping anything together. And, and um, that was kind of liberating because did it, you, re- it, did you it, record the tape or did you do, did you go digital? No, nah, it, w- it went to tape. Nice. A lot of the stuff was, some of it was just, when it went into Pro Tools, that was it. It was done. It was mixed. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, and a couple songs, you know, we had fun with, you know, certain sonic aspects and, you know, messing around. But for the most part, like the core of the record, you know, what would be like the, the standout songs for a lot of, a couple of them were just like no click, you know, mm-hmm. just because the way it speeds up and pulls back and it's really organic, you know. It really did felt like more the way records were made when I was a novice, right. you know, as compared to what, what can be done today. Do you think the listener is starting to get conditioned to hear music quantized, snap to the grid, perfectly, you know, pitched, never speeds up, slows down, nothing? Because uh, I feel like everyone is getting, is getting conditioned to, to listen that way. Um, for me, I hear it and I think it sounds like hell, but... yeah. Yeah, Do you I think agree. we're sort of I, like conditioning people to, to listen differently? I, I think in the pop realm that's that's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think there's still like the fringes and you know, um people really digging the antithesis of like, you know, what EDM is or you know, it's some DJ, you know, right. kind of just spinning um the C D peg things. <laughs> 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 Whatever they are. Right. The fake speech. Yeah. yeah. Um what are those? I forget. I mean, I get like they call them turntables. I'm like, they're not turntables. Oh, CD, CDJs, CDJs, CDJs. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's examples of everything that's really good. You know, done really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's still like you know people who don't who are gonna kind of have a um, a revolt against that and want something that's heartfelt and human. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on the pop sense, I think it's already there, like such a, you know, adhered to template of, of, you know, what a pop song is. It's very uninteresting. Right. I've been checking out the new Sonar SQ-1 kits, and they are sick. You know who else thinks they're sick? Chris Coleman. I'll let him take it from here. When I hear something inside of me, I have to get it out. I have to get the sound that's within me out. Whatever I'm feeling in the moment, I go for it. 
and I may create something fresh and new from me. Something I may change about it, something I may not. I'm just going with the flow. Sonar's done it. SQ1, my sonar drummer. Check him out. You dig him. There's a book, man. I'm gonna forget the title of it. Uh, I think it's, I think it's like it's called like making of a song or hit making of a hit or hit maker or something like that. Um, where it essentially breaks down and put it puts every like pop song under a microscope, and it's all the same formula that they've been using for the last like 40 or 50 years. That's why a lot of pop songs sound the same. Because they're made that way to sound the same. Right. And there's like this whole like this whole uh, formula that goes whether people are doing it consciously or subconsciously that they're creating a thing and everyone hears it, you know, in the at the record label or in the studio or something. They're like, yeah, that's a hit. And what I guess what these people don't realize is it's a hit because it sounds like another song that sounds like this thing. Our brains are are. Right. Uh, conditioned to hear it a certain way so we automatically think that it's good and then that's what makes a hit right so it's like this weird like brain science psychological thing with pop songs and hit songs which is really crazy yeah it's a it's a it's a product yeah you know and and this research and developments and you know following trends i mean trending and the thing that really enforces that like following the 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 decade old, you know, the decades old template is how things are produced these days. And like the, the advent of the plugin and it's just mm-hmm. like instant, you know, here you go, just press play. Insta hit, you know? It, yeah, totally. It's, it's like pretty much all done for you. Um, and just coupled with, you know, what a pop song should be, it just becomes really relentless. Mm-hmm. Like the technology kind of just, it's supposed to have like, you know, broke open a whole new envelope of creativity. And then now it's just like, you know, crushing creativity by suggesting, Mm -hmm. you know, what a song should sound like. Right, right. Yeah, it's bizarre. But then, you know, you still do hear something that's totally contemporary going, wow, how'd they figure that out? That's awesome. It's it's funny that you say that. They're one of the songs that they talk about in that book is. Uh, do you know the song "Hey Ya," the Outcast song? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. they were, they were like, by all standards, that song should not be a hit because of because of this, because of that, like all of the reasons why a song is a hit. This was sort of like the antithesis of that, and they sent it to radio, huh. and radio said it wasn't a hit, and everyone was like, this this, and people. Where it was like the most hated song on the playlist and all this kind of stuff. And then I forget exactly what happened. So I'm not, this isn't the greatest story in the world, but, uh, something happened. And then, you know, like it started, or I think they kept like, they just kept playing it. And then people who hated it started to love it. And then it became like this global, this global hit only because people's brains started becoming, I hate to keep using this word, but conditioned to because it started to sound familiar and that's what made them start to like it which is like a really weird wow. which is a really weird th- i love that tune honestly but uh yeah I, 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 for me it was just like when i first heard it it, w- it was not unlike hearing smells like teen spirit it's like oh i know this song right it was the, right. the familiar aspect that made it so good you know mm-hmm. and really kind of infected you immediately and with that song too it's just something that double time things Vaguely, you know, kind of Motown, and it's just all so catchy. And you know, whether what grid he was following, you know, in terms of the musicality, it's just like, who cares, man? Like yeah. he voiced something that's uh, really infectious, and that mm-hmm. was like didn't matter what music you were into. It's okay to like that song. Yeah, like, everybody liked that song. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, that's that's rare. That's a not a lot that of that everyone likes it. Yeah. Yeah, across the board. Are you uh, like I know I know all the stuff that you listen to that you know that came out prior. But is there any is there any stuff that you listen to now, like pop stuff that you listen to now, or are you sort of like an anti radio pop guy? Yeah, I don't, I don't really listen to much pop 
I'm really, trying to figure out if um, you're like a if you're a closet like Ariana Grande fan or not. No, no, <laughs> not really. I I would have no no qualms in admitting if I if I was. Um, right. You know, there's a few things that catch my ear if it's well done, but yeah, I kind of just been all over the place, really. Um, but there was this electronic piece, or not piece, like EP that I uh, discovered, and um, I'm trying to I'm trying to get to where it is, who it is. Let's see. It just it's just so rare that something brand new uh, strikes me these days. Uh, uh, oh, Cosmic Swimmer. Hmm. Never heard of him. Uh, yeah, me neither. And there was another uh, electronic. This is kind of way out there. Uh, this guy, Chris Carter, who was from the band Throbbing Gristle way back in the early 80s. And it's this, uh, a lot of songs, but they're all like two, three minutes long. And um, really kind of, they're very catchy, you know, and kind of captivating, but they don't follow pop structure. You know, they kind of just go until the end. Right. And uh, it's really interesting how he kind of just builds up these progressions and it doesn't make you feel um, like you're spinning in circles. It keeps moving forward and without being too, too full of itself either. It's not complicated, you know, mm -hmm. uh, those kinds of things have, uh, I think gravitating towards, uh, there's a band daughter. It's been around for a while, but our tour manager likes them a lot and forced me to listen to their latest <laughs> record which I'm glad I did because they're really cool too. Nice. Um, and there's, there's so much, mu man, there's so much music out yeah, there. That, it's that, like, crazy. And it amazes me that, you know, like the band can be really, really big and I've never heard of them. And I'm like, I work in yeah. the music business. Like, how are these people, you know, like there's, there's bands that, that are selling, you know, 15,000 tickets a night. And yeah, have millions of followers on social media. And I'm like, I've never even heard of them. How have I never even yeah. heard of these people? Which I think is, that's the amazing thing to me about music is because years ago, if you, you were either on the radio and you were successful or you weren't, and that was it. And now yeah. like it almost, it doesn't mean anything, you know, like you can, you can have a band and be selling 15,000 tickets a night and never have a song on the radio. And frankly, yeah. not even care if you ever have a song on the radio, you know? Yeah, you, I love it. You, it's an interesting way if you're motivated, you know, know what you're doing. Um, the combination of the internet presence and, you know, uh, like you said, like some of these bands are playing in front of 15,000 people a night. I think that's a big part of their success is because they're making themselves visible in real time as well as right. online. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it just, you know, if you have the work ethic and you know what you're doing, it's it's going to happen. Yep. And the unlimited resource to that is amazing. What I think is even more amazing is how they manage to like find their specific audience and, you know, channel content to them. Yeah. You know, finding like a true, like creating a real network that you're at the center of. Mm -hmm. Cause that's, that's how it's happening, you know, and that's, that's bewildering because it's such a, I mean, it's a virtual playing field. Like it's, it's, there's no limits. It goes yep. everywhere. There's no gatekeepers either. No, no, it's wide open. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of people who are who are frustrated, and they talk about how you know everything's free, and and no one's buying music anymore, and and all that. Which I understand, you know, I understand that argument. Artists aren't getting paid through paid as much as they should be through Spotify and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. But on the flip side of that, when else could you have taken a record and put it online and distributed it? around the world instantaneously for free. No, I mean, the argument used to be, man, I can't get any distribution. How do we get distribution? Yep. Even if you like, signed oh, a record deal. Totally. It was like, still you're like, yeah, you're like, all right, we got a record deal. If we've no, if you've no distribution, okay, then it doesn't matter. You're screwed. Yeah. You know, and, um, now it's, um, it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> Distribution's not an issue. It's just, you know, reaching it, you know, your, your audience. It's, uh, it's crazy. I, you know, I wonder, you know, cause we're still releasing records through a record label, which I, I think are doing, you know, a phenomenal job keeping up with what's, um, 
you know, happening at the moment and figuring out how to, you know, put it on its side, you know, and, and still put out records that sound different. Right, right. But still, it's, it's like, you know, I wonder a band, you know, as established as we are, like, do we even need to follow that paradigm anymore? Like, does it have to be like record tour, you know, kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know? Um, and but, and you know, like now it, it's like, what's even like, what's a record anymore? You know, because yeah. most of the time things are, things are either getting released as a single or, you know, or just like releasing one tune at a time or, you know, I, on, on the one side, I think it's good because there's always new music coming out and all that stuff. But on the other side, I think that it, you know, you don't, I don't feel like bands have the luxury anymore of taking three years to write a record. No, no. And it's, it's like, um, having it not just be popular or well received, but the carbon niche and, you know, having it sustain, you know, over decades, that's hit or miss, you know? Yeah. And so every, everything is just so, it, it better be really captivating or it's going to be discarded instantly. Right. Yep. You know, there's always, there's always something there to, to listen to. So the change, I mean, you've been in this business for a long time and you've, you've seen all of the, the changes over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, how everything has gone to digital and then online and all that. Uh, what, what do you see that, like, that is encouraging? Uh, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of pessimism in the, in the music in- industry. I don't really listen to pes- pessimism and I don't buy into it. Uh, so I wouldn't, yeah. I'd like the, I like the encouraging things. So what do you see out there that's encouraging for that someone who's listening that may be 18, 22, 25 years old and they're in this business and they're either trying to pursue it or they're, you know, they're sort of struggling or anything like that. What are, what are some encouraging things that you see? Well, you know, if, if you have something, um, that deserves to be shared and heard, it, It'll find its way. You know, you, you really, you just need to figure out what you're doing, who it, who it should appeal to, ideally, you know, without, of course, pigeonholing your audience, you know, nor your, your output, but just kind of, you got to know where to go at the beginning and just building upon it, you know, and the encouraging thing is like, you don't need, you know, traditional record label to get, you know, um, their, you know, collected, you know, approval of you, you know, you, you, you can have something and have it find its way out there. And, you know, just like Instagram, for example, like just the image of somebody in a bikini, you know, receives so much attention. Mm-hmm. So if you can hit it in, from that angle, like if it's a good song, well, there's going to be people there that are going to listen to it, right. you know, right, right. and, you know, it's, it's your, it's your, it's their moment. You know, it's like if they're young at, at that age, it's their time to kind of help define, you know, what the hell's going on at the moment. Yep. Yep. But just, you know, I think the most important thing is no matter how you're performing, you know, whatever music it is, it, you got to go and stick it in people's faces. Mm-hmm. Like you got to go play, you got to go play live. Like it doesn't matter if it's trap or if it's like prog rock. <laughs> right. You just, you know, I think that's, that, that, that'll remain like, um, the one key thing I think for a lot of years to come. Yeah. You yeah. can't replace, you can't replace live music. Nah. You just, you can't. Nah. It's impossible. There's, and I think, I think a lot of times people are just sitting around sort of waiting for something to happen. They're like, well, I put my songs on Spotify, you know, I put my songs on SoundCloud. It's like, well, are you are you out yeah. hustling every single day? Like every, you and everyone else put their songs on Spotify and SoundCloud. Exactly. You got to you got to stick out like a sore thumb, and you know it can't be just that medium that that you're available on. You know it's got to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know YouTube and Instagram and whatever other social media platform, and most importantly, well, how they get that content you're playing live. You're doing what you do as a band, right? Or right. an art performing artist. Yeah, there's a. I mean, there there seems like there's this want to create content, put it on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, wherever else, and then like live in that world. And I always, you know, I always talk. I talk about it on the podcast a lot. I talk about it in like some of the other like consulting stuff that I do, where it's like online is a it's a it's an asset it's it's a valuable thing 
but it doesn't it's not real life it doesn't no. replace it doesn't replace real life so you know even if you have a million followers on instagram like how many shows are you playing if you haven't played any shows and no one's buying your tickets then it doesn't matter so no, no it's, it's useless and instead of using social away. sorry go ahead no, you know, your followers will just fade too because you're not doing anything. Right, right. And it, you I know, look you, at it like the get, idea gotta, of. Go ahead. I was just going to say you have to. You, you can't depend on it. You have to use it to 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 build something. You know, right. and to you know, you constantly just you hit one level. You got to. You want more. You want more attention. You got to garner more attention. Yep. And so you you couldn't just rely and just go here. I am. You know, you, you got to give it, you got to feed it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, human contact is a, is a good way, and at least performance-wise. Yep. I, there's a lot of looking at the social platform as the end-all, as like the final thing where, you know, even a lot of people I talk to, it's like, what do you want to do with your drumming career? Well, I want to be a, a YouTube drummer. It's like, right. Okay. Uh, okay. But oh, you, you got to get okay. there. You got to go do stuff. <laughs> right. Right. You know, yeah. like bring something to the fold, you know? Yep. As, a, as yeah, I like I, to say, get off your ass and do something. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yep. For sure. Um, so where, so if pe- speaking of getting out there and doing stuff, you guys are, are always on the road. You guys are always doing a bunch of stuff. Where can, where's the best place for people to find out where they can see you live? Um, uh, well, again, this social media. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interpol Instagram or the, our website. People still go to websites. I think so. <laughs> that has our current touring information. Nice. And then, are you yeah. are you big on social? No, no. <laughs> I, didn't think I, so. I I very rarely contribute to the band's uh, social media accounts. Okay. What about your yeah. personal ones? Can they? Is there any way I, I don't, people should follow you? I don't. I don't have any. God bless you, man. Yeah. God bless you. You're now, now you're my hero. <laughs> I knew I yeah, liked you for I a don't. reason. Uh, so lastly, the most, probably the most important question of the day. Um, I heard through the grapevine that you're very proud of your chef skills. So I wanted to hear what your, uh, what your favorite pasta dish is. That's, you know, that's what people say. It's it just gotten kind of stretched out of proportion. Like I, <laughs> I, I am what they call these days, like a home cook. You right. know what I mean? Like I don't. I never bragged about like you know chef prouts. Right. I, I read it. I read it on the internet, so it has to be. It has to be true. Right. No. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but any kind of like pasta dish, you know, whether it be just like simple pomodoro or you know some kind of cream based thing or carbonara, like nice. I'll, I'll rock that shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The key to the the key to the carbonara is once you crisp the prosciutto, you got to wait for it to cool a little bit before you put the egg in because if you don't, it cooks the egg and it becomes like you know it, Scram- it makes Scram- it makes it scrambled instead of instead of creamy. Yeah, egg. So for creamy, yeah, yeah. So yeah, for everyone out there making carbonara, yeah, oh, I love I love a good carbonara. Yeah, is is amazing. I heard it termed uh, the breakfast pasta. I like it. Yeah, I mean pasta is Me good for. For any uh, for any meal, as far as I'm concerned, I grew up in the in the the restaurant business, so ah, cooking, there you go. cooking carbonara my whole life. So. <laughs> but pasta, like pasta for breakfast, pasta for lunch, pasta for dinner, it goes. I mean, yeah. dessert, whatever, it goes well with anything. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so if uh, if things don't work out for you uh, on the on the drumming front anymore, then then you can open up a restaurant and cook some carbonara. Never, no way. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, the, the best no, advice I, I have for people if they say they want to open a restaurant is I tell them, don't do it. I say, here's what we'll do. Yeah. We'll get on the phone for an hour. First, send me a check for $100,000. We'll get on the phone for an hour. <laughs> I'll talk you out of it. And I will have saved you at least $150,000. So that's my, that's my, uh, <laughs> that's like my, my restaurant consulting thing. I think it's good advice. It's so yeah. hit or miss, man. Oh, and I, for me personally, it would just like take the joy out of food. <laughs> yeah. And going out to dinner in general. So, yeah, totally. So, 
but uh but anyway sam i want to uh again thank you for for being a part of the podcast thanks for dealing with the technical difficulties i appreciate you coming on it's always great to have someone from my hometown on here as well so that's always cool we can always relate on that and congrats on on the success that you've had over the years you've been doing it for a very long time so it's both uplifting and inspiring to know that that it is possible to do what you want to do for a living as long as you're willing to to work hard and and be open to uh to growth and sort of criticism as you had talked about before so thank you again man and i you're very welcome nothing but success in the future and safe travels out there on the road likewise my friend take care thanks brother i appreciate it all right man talk to you soon there you have it sam fuggerino and if you want to check out the show notes, head over to drummersresource.com. All the show notes for all the episodes are always on Drummers Resource. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can subscribe anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, all that fun stuff. If you want to go one step farther, you can leave a rating or review on iTunes. That helps the podcast show up higher in the search results. And that lets people know that this podcast is, in fact, worth listening to so head over there do that i would appreciate it and until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon peace